creak and a rattle and a distinct lack of drama. We're off. Leaving Belfast Central, we skim through the lower Ormo, backs of houses and apartments, through Botanic, under the Empire Music Hall, the sudden black of a tunnel, then the bright rippled yellow cube of the city hospital, overgrown hawthorn, nettles, high spiked fences, Windsor Park, silent and ghostly as we pick up speed through Adelaide, paralleling the Lisburn Road, the timber yard, the car dealers, then the King's Hall, Musgrave Park and suburbia, to Finity and beyond. Every day, hundreds of people get the train to cross the border for work or pleasure. The lycra-clad man with the bike, the family with the pushchair, the ladies with their laptops. I grew up in Newry, fascinated with the border. A dotted line of huge political significance, but in many ways of no relevance to our daily lives. This morning I'm on the first train out of Belfast to explore the effect the border has had on attitudes of people either side of it. Have we got to know each other better in recent years with more cross-border movement? Do we still harbour the old suspicions and resentments? And I suppose, are we still carrying a legacy of history? You could say, today, I'm the inspector of baggage. My name is Mary and I am the onboard cleaning supervisor on the Enterprise Service. I have been here 18 years doing this job. So after 18 years, Mary, you must get to know the same faces. There must be like a kind of a community of people that travel up and down in the train. Oh, there is, there is. Um, there's people travelling this train probably as long as I have worked here. We've all got to know them very well. Some we have. And we actually used to have a passenger travelled here, actually went on our Christmas dinner with us every year. Really? And it did indeed, yes. There was a girl travelled here, she got to know her and she actually for a few years was coming with us on our Christmas dinner. Mary's our guide on the train. She's pointing out the regulars and keeping an eye out for train travellers who might have a story to tell. Like composer Brian Irvine. The train is brilliant because it's kind of like two hours. It's like two stolen hours where you can't really do anything except sit in one place and maybe do a bit of work on my laptop, look out the window. It's kind of like a little stolen moment out of life. So I like that. And there's something extremely... uh, it's something extremely relaxing about being in the gym, and maybe it is something to do with the sound or the, the rhythm of it or the, the, the general underlining pulse that flows through everything. So you're equipped, you have your laptop, you actually have a keyboard here as well. Yes. Are you going to start playing? <laughs> and I have a grand piano just on the table here. <laughs> well, I, carry, I always carry my little laptop and I always carry my little keyboard no matter where I go because I always have pieces to finish, you know, and I'm riding a violin in short at the minute, so the train is just such a fantastic place to zone out, put your headphones on, keyboard on. When we hear this final <laughs> violin concerto, will, will there be a movie to go... <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully I can separate the two, but you never know. Music is, is one of those things that kind of crosses borders mm. and, and you, you work where the work is. Mm. And as somebody who travels regularly down south, works down there. Yeah. How, how do people perceive you, don't they? When it comes to music, I suppose they're 
something. And it's a bit of a cliche, but in some ways there are no boundaries. You know, when you're working with like the symphony orchestra or any of those guys, uh, there's always a big welcome for anyone who's involved in music in any kind of level. So it doesn't really matter where you're from. This is a regular pastor and travels every day. Oh, yeah. You were sitting there thinking you were going to have a lovely, peaceful, quiet journey. Yes. To Dublin. Yes. Where do you Where do you I get on the train? I only go to Dundalk. Oh, you only go yeah. to Dundalk from Belfast. I think I've been doing the journey probably ten years now. But you've got to know people on the train. It's yes. Kind of a community. Yeah. There seems to be. People talk about this community of train travellers. Yeah, I think if you see the same people both staff and other customers like over and over again yeah you do get to the point where you're saying hello to people maybe not in this really early morning train some people are still asleep oh, it's very quiet yes so do you have a routine then yes up early breakfast down to the train station in a taxi ticket coffee uh, and a piece of shortbread yeah. Yeah. So we'll let you get back to listen to your music. What, what kind of music do you listen to this time of the morning? Pretty much anything that comes on. It's M people at the moment. The oldies. <laughs> While Linda passes time listening to the oldies, Brian Irvine's writing new music. But does he think that people from Northern Ireland have a particular way of working? There is a kind of aesthetic, I think, that in some ways we all share, which is, I would say, is kind of related in an innate way to what our environment has been growing up, you know, through the last 40 years. And there's a kind of energy, a kind of um, personality, uh, a sort of force, if you like, behind a lot of the Northern composers. Um, you think of all the composers in Ireland working, a huge amount of them are from the North. And uh, they do bring a kind of certain individuality, I think. It's quite hard to define. Um, but I think that growing up in the era that we grew up in I think it would be almost impossible to have avoided being sculpted in some ways by uh, our environment I mean there is a stereotype people imagine that and it's a northern southern thing in, in, in almost any country mm-hmm. you know in the north of Italy they all say the southerners <laughs> are far too yes. laid back and yeah. almost lazy is, is there a work ethic that we have that southerners maybe are a bit more relaxed about it? Probably, but I have to say um, in general I'm loath to kind of uh, subscribe to those stereotypes. Generally there is a slight difference, cultural difference, um, social difference. Like it could be a town north and south of the town, it could be a street north and south of the street or the east and west of the street. So in many ways it's just a, a way of establishing a kind of difference. And that's why I think you've got to be wary of it as well, because it's not particularly real. Um, but when it comes down to individuals, you know, well, we're all individuals, as Monty Python would say. Please, uh, we are now arriving into Portadown. Those passengers leaving the train here at Portadown, would you please ensure you have all your personal belongings and baggage with you? All of your baggage? <laughs> or just the stuff you're carrying in your suitcase. I think, yeah, yeah, I think you take your baggage with you everywhere, don't you? <laughs> I remember as a student on this train, there used to be a plaque in the toilet that said, do not flush the toilet when the train is standing in the station. And somebody, I like to think more mischievous than malevolent, somebody had scored into the metal plate three words, except in Portadown. We're just 
pulling out of poor old Portadown. Louis McNeese wrote a poem in the 1930s called Train to Dublin. And in it he captures this kind of notion that the train is a place for dreaming. Our half-thought thoughts divide in sifted wisps, he said. And Portadown definitely gives the real traveller ample opportunity to let their mind wander as we can see right into backyards where the washing is out, the extension is half-built and the trampolines out in the garden. My name's Roisin Campbell um, and I get to train on a monthly basis from Belfast down to Dublin, usually for work. What is the border mean to you? Well, um, the border is quite familiar to me because I'm actually from Monaghan, so I've been living in Belfast for about 12 years, um, but I'm down home a lot of weekends um, and I'm up and down all the time, so it doesn't bother me, it's just like a different way of life for me. So you're from Monaghan, working in Belfast, but you travel up and down to the south, so do you feel more or less northern or southern? I suppose um, you always have a tendency to feel a wee bit more southern when I'm from there, but um, to be honest, the longer I'm in Belfast, it probably doesn't really make any difference anymore. Um, I'm a bit of a half and half now, I think. You're in a perfect position, Roisin, to kind of look at this idea of the border and what it means to people and what the differences are north and south. I mean, do northerners have preconceptions about people from the south and the other way around? I think we're getting away from that. Um, I think there's still some people, probably, there's there's always the names, um, people from the north and the nordies, and I think sometimes people from the south are referred to as the Mexicans and different um, words and terminology like that, but I think things are really changing, and I suppose this is a good example on the train, you know, when people go up and down, and it's just a, a way of life for them. In terms of work as well, is there a different work ethic? Do you think north and south? No, definitely not. Um, my company's over both and, and I don't see any difference at all. So you don't have these kind of dour, you know, hard-working northerners and these lazy, feckless sort of take-it-easy, take-it-off southerners? <laughs> no, definitely not. Not that I've seen anyway. What are the phrases or the words that differentiate, do you think, between northerners and southerners? When you're putting on some bacon, when you're putting bacon in the pan, what do you what do you put in the pan? Rashers. You see, we don't we don't put rashers. We just have slices of bacon. <laughs> There's quite a few um, food related ones, I think. What do you call potato bread? No, I call it potato bread. Not slim or fad <laughs> no. or anything. No. No. Potato potato then. Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> Sorry. Can I just have your tickets ready there, please? No, thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, my name's Philip Johnson. I uh, live in Belfast but work in Dublin, in University College Dublin, where I am the head of the Department of Spanish and Portuguese. Um, I am a regular commuter, but I've only been doing this for 22 years. Wow. But it's a very civilised way to travel. It is. Very, very, very enjoyable. I suppose I keep it going by a combination of reading, working, and I have to confess, quite often, a little doze along the way as well. So why the train? It suits me better for, for family reasons to return at home. I have young children and a wife who was ill for some time, so I like to check in at night time. Also, uh, to be honest with you, I, uh, financially, you know, I'm not really in a position now to, to be able to lavish money on spend, and overnight stays in Dublin the way it used to be before the, the bubble burst. Many of us who worked in the South before the, the bursting of the bubble, so to speak, it wasn't quite a case of money was no object, but certainly the salaries in the South were well worth going for. And you, you would notice that people would, would spend reasonable amounts of money on food and drink and so on on the train. Now people tend to be very reserved about that kind of thing, you know, and careful. 
And are there people who got the train that you would have known in those days that suddenly, for whatever reason, just weren't on the train anymore? That may well be because um, perhaps the jobs that they occupied were taken away. Chief by jail with, with Conley Stations, the Irish Financial Services Centre, the IFSC, and quite a few people who commute would actually work there. And of course, obviously, there aren't as many jobs on, in, in that area at present. So, so those kind of, some of those people have disappeared. That's true, including a good friend of mine. We pass over the highest viaduct in Ireland, the Craigmore Viaduct, or the 18 Arches, as it's known around Newry. It's a prominent feature in the South Armagh landscape. And then you cross the very distinctive Egyptian Arch Railway Bridge. Both the viaduct and the railway bridge were designed by an engineer called Sir John McNeill, who, believe it or not, taught the great-great-grandfather of the man who invented Big Brother. And after you've crossed the Egyptian Arch, you're looking down at my old hometown of Newry. Look at that. It'll bring a tear to your eye. Right, that's enough. Baggage inspectors have no room for nostalgia. Every day in Newry, a group of people get on and sit in the last carriage together. They form a little community amongst themselves. They've even got their own Facebook page. And one of the gang is Jimmy Hill. Jimmy's the Vice President of the National College of Ireland in the Irish Financial Services Centre in Dublin. I think working in the south, coming from the north, um, there is a particular view, I guess, held by some people that northern people have a different different attitude or I think particularly maybe with respect to people from the six counties that talk about the dark north and we think we're a bit dull and dour but we would have a entirely different view but I think that's only a superficial thing to be fair and because it happens where I work uh, the, both the president and vice president are both northerners um, so we often tease the others and say if it wasn't for us they couldn't run the organisation but again it's just good fun really you know it is a bit more relaxed. It can be a little bit more social. I think it's a nicer uh, environment to work in as well, so I'd have to say that. But this is the last carriage on the train, and it feels already like it's it's like the backseat of the bus. We're all the sort of naughty children, so. Very much. Lots of naughty children in this part of the bus. Um, so is it kind of, you made your own community of commuters? Yes. Um, I kind of, after the first few weeks or month or so, started to meet particular group of people and I've kind of been sitting with those people ever since and it's kind of quite a nice little social network and we keep our own Facebook page um, and we can post photographs of one another sleeping and <laughs> things like that <laughs> and uh, it makes the whole journey just a little bit more bearable the four of them just sitting opposite me here and I could introduce you to them um, over here we have Liz and then we have Shanine on opposite Shanine, we have the very camera shy Laura, and we have Claire. How did you four all meet up with Jimmy and decide to form a group? Uh, Claire's brother-in-law um, actually commuted with Jimmy for a few years before we had uh, joined the train, so he introduced us to the train gang. The train gang, is that the official name? And where do you all work then? I work on Dawson Street. Um, I work in a stockbroker's just very close to the train station. Laura. Um, I work in a life insurance company just at the foot of Connolly, so once I'm off the train, I'm in work in just a couple of minutes. So. And Claire? I work in City, so it's just a five-minute walk from the station, which is great. And what about, I mean, if somebody said, look, wave the magic wand, you could all get a job in Newry. You wouldn't have to get the train. You could, ten minutes would take you to work every day. Would you do it? 
Yes. <laughs> Most definitely, yes. I would absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Definitely, if we could get the same money and yeah. the same job that we're qualified for, but yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and as cross border commuters, then do you know every day? You know what the exchange rate is every day. Do you kind of look at it and say it's up, the money's up, the money's down, whatever? Would you? That's part of your job, Shawnee, this book. Yeah. So, but even in terms of what you earn and how much you're going to bring home, we would actually check it on a daily basis, and then sometimes we lock into a forward contract to so that you know in advance what you're going to bring home for the year. It just makes life a little bit easier to manage. So it's been a 25 percent pay cut in currency fluctuations in 2008 with the weakening of the euro against sterling. It's about 25 percent. Has the, the bust, has the end of the Celtic Tiger made a difference in the numbers of people who are travelling up and down, do you think? Yeah, I think there was a fall, but in recent times there's been a significant increase in people. Most of those people seem to get on in Newry. It seems to be the big kind of contributor to cross-border commuters. Yeah, there's definitely there's a huge amount of people get on in Newry every day, and I think it's set to only increase going forward. Mary watches over her passengers like a mother the point where she gets to know their stories and their lives. Passengers like Andrew. Andrew travelled down to the records office before I came back to Belfast and um, doing the family trees. So he hadn't been here for a quarter while. He, he had actually went on holiday. About six weeks of him passed and I hadn't seen him. So it was sort of because of Andrew's age, it was sort of, and a few of the passengers who all got to know him were asking the individuals who know anybody seen Andrew heard from him. So we knew that he belonged to the Mormon church, so my sister himself we phoned the Mormon church, explained to him where we were, where we worked, and just explained that we were worried about him. So the phone is back, found out he had actually broken his, his leg. So the phone back and they told him that we were asked about him and Andrew was over the moon and he came back on the train and he thanked us and he says look it's really great that somebody missed me and he was very thankful for it to know a lovely lovely character that was a lovely thing to do yeah. well part of the family we do our best it's all we can do the train itself the service is very good in the sense that the people who operate it are kind of well known to all of us, to all of us who are commuters, um, and they're very decent people as well. Um, and I'm glad to say that the journey now tends to be less eventful than it was in the past. For example, when the uh, Malahide, uh, Malahide estuary, when basically you know the the train track went into the water, um, I was on that train. I was on the last train to pass through. Um, there could have been a serious disaster there. As somebody who lives in the north and works in the south, do you feel a, a, a northernness when you're in Dublin? I have to say, in the 22 years that I have worked in UCD, I have never encountered any kind of um, uh, antagonism at all towards my being in northern. Um, quite the opposite, in fact. I think that uh, as northerners, we're terribly self-conscious of our accent. But actually, people in Dublin often would compliment your accent, which is which is pleasant enough. No, I don't really have a problem, and I, you know, for me, the the border is uh, uh, almost an invisible irrelevance at times. You know? I, I, I'm not terribly conscious of going one way or another because once I get into Dublin, it's sort of my work head is on, and I'm I'm trying to get as much work done as possible in the day. There are 
differences and so on, but I don't dwell too much on those. Do you think are we perceived as being, you know, dour and more serious and maybe harder working? Or are they just stereotypes? I think those are stereotypical images, actually, and don't bear a great deal of resemblance to reality. What's the word for dirt? I know you work in the, in the, in the Department of Spanish and yeah. the Portuguese. Spanish doesn't really have a word for dirt. It doesn't not really, no. It would be, there wouldn't be an adequate word, you know. Duro, which means hard or tough, would be close enough, you know. But, but it uh, doesn't get that no, sense of no, 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 no. miserableness. Thranness. Yeah. <laughs> What's Spanish for thran? Yo que sé, ni idea. Look, there it is. Welcome to Ireland, in capital letters. You see, a lot of people in Northern Ireland feel that they live in Ireland already and that the border is, as Philip says, an invisible irrelevance. But that wee beep reminds you that whatever your political opinion, in the modern commercial world, you're roaming. Now I'm going to roam into the next carriage now, swaying about and trying not to carry the head of somebody as I go. I should say at this point that as baggage inspector I have something to declare myself. While most of the time I've spent south of the border for work or for pleasure has been positive, on other occasions I've been told to clear off back to the north and have been assured at a customs checkpoint in Cork that they were pulling in all foreign nationals. So maybe this little dotted line isn't so irrelevant after all. Kevin Murphy is a former teacher and local historian from Mullaban in South Armagh. I travel occasionally up and down on the train to Dublin to the uh, National Archives and uh, the National Library and places like that. And sometimes just to meet people uh, now that I have reached a magic age where I can travel free on the train. The border was always... Uh, very relevant to our lives because uh, up until 1922 uh, our town was Dundalk. Your postal address? Yes, the postal address up until I have letters uh, from as far as 1926 where it says uh, Mullaban, Fork Hill, Dundalk. So uh, we were cut off from the natural town of Dundalk and uh, we were nearer Dundalk than we were to Newry. But um, the board was very much present in my young life because, um, well, for example, we, we would go up, my father would go up across the border to smuggle back cigarettes. And I remember in 1955, my mother smuggling a clock from Dundalk. Yeah, I still have the clock, and it still ticks, you know. Of course, we resented the border, and uh, we still resent it, of course. I wouldn't consider it. Uh, it's not a border in my mind. Uh, well, when you when you mix with people in the South, I mean, how does your northernness come out, do you think? Well, I don't think uh, there, there's any difference. Uh, I mean, I, I married a free stater, uh, and uh, see, but you used the phrase. Free yes, state. of course, we used the we used the phrase "free state" as a term of derision uh, for people who who were from south of the border, and that came, of course, from the twenties when we in South Armagh felt totally abandoned uh, by the people who ran the southern state. But I would never consider uh, Dundalk anyway uh, different uh, from Newry. Um, we in South Armagh never had that. 
because uh, all our entertainment, for example, when I was uh, very young, uh, my whole ambition was to get to Dundalk because Dundalk was seen as the mecca of entertainment. But that was the place we went. We did not go north. It, 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 it was seen by our people at the time as something freer, you know? People often talk about that sense of, if you're going on your holidays, once you get over the border, there's that sense of kind of yes. relaxation. It meant holidays, it meant... The atmosphere of Dublin, you see, I was at the University of Dublin and the atmosphere of Dublin was, was absolutely great. And then I went down to uh, Belfast to do a debate uh, in 1968-69 and sure it was a complete disappointment to, to myself and my colleagues who were uh, had escaped to, to Dublin. And when you're let loose in Dublin, whenever the train arrives in Dublin, what's the first thing you do? Well, the first thing I'm going to do this morning now is have my breakfast somewhere. What about the breakfast? What do you have for the breakfast? Well, no, I Will think... Will be an Ulster fry? No, no, I, I never have an Ulster fry. No, no, I'll have scrambled egg and toast. No <laughs> Ulster fry. No. Even if it was a nine-county one, I wouldn't have it. <laughs> so Ulster says no to a nine-county fry. All this talk of politics is making me hungry. So I'm following my nose to the dining car. Well, the croissants are still being served and the apple juice is still being poured out. And I'm making my way into the dining car because this is Carla. Carla, this is supposed to be the heart of the train. This place is supposed to be where all the gossip and glamour is. Is that true? This would be the place where everybody stands because there's a distinct lack of seating on the train. <laughs> oh, no, I've, I've heard more than that now. I've been sold... The dining car is the place to go. It's the place where people talk about what happened last Saturday night. It's the place where well, kind of relationships are repaired. And yeah, broken. my guys at work can never believe that I have train buddies. A group of disparate people who would never know each other only for they get the Enterprise every morning. <laughs> and, you know, all walks of life, all cultures, all jobs. And we're all here every morning for 35 minutes. You know, stuck. So 35 minutes, you get on in Drogheda then? Yeah, 20 past 8, get on the train. I actually work on Amy Street, so I'm in my office around 7 minutes past 9. You talk about this community that there is on the train of, of, of people from the north, people from the south, from all ages, backgrounds, creeds and classes. Mm -hmm. Is there a sense of... Is there a difference between northerners and southerners? Do you think? I don't think there's a difference. Sometimes the accent can be a bit of a barrier. When they start there, near, 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 and you can't quite catch everything. But, you know... Other than that, no. I mean, we're just people and we're all stuck in here and we're all going from A to B, so no, I don't think so really. What's the first thing you do when you get to Dublin? Cry, because I have to go to work. <laughs> Probably get a coffee and go into the office. So, no political baggage in the dining car. We're all happy travellers. It's just some of us talk funny, according to Carla. Mike McCare is a managing partner of Ernst & Young and he's working away on his laptop as we reach the outskirts of Dublin. What does he think? I think there probably are some misconceptions and, and you know, some of the stereotypical behaviours would be looking at everyone from the north and thinking you're one extreme or another because that, unfortunately, during the Troubles was, was what grabbed all the headlines and, and people do that. The first 30 seconds of meeting you, whether it's your name, the school you went to, whatever it happens to be, people will still put you into some sort of stereotypical box and I think that'll continue. The key thing is that we do move beyond it. It may take a generation or two, but, you know, I think my son's and daughter's generation 
generation in their, in their late teens, they don't know what the troubles were, they didn't experience it, and their kids will be even more removed from it, and I think you'll just then move beyond it completely after that. Well, we're moving beyond Port Marnock on our journey into Dublin. Edgar Morgan wrote, works at the Economic Social Research Institute in Dublin and has an interest in trains. He's at the door, poised to begin his working day. It's, it's very reflective, I think, of society in general. Um, and so you, you, you get all types of people on the train. And when you get talking to people, it is quite interesting, different purposes of journeys and, you know, people you know, from very, very different backgrounds. Well, the train's slowing down, Edgar, we're pulling into Connolly Station. What's the first thing you do when you get to Dublin? Uh, I just go to my office. Uh, depending on how punctually we are, it that will determine the speed at which I'm going to travel to my office, seeing that we're punctual. It'll be just normal speed. So we're on time? <laughs> yeah, we're on time. It doesn't always happen like that. But <laughs> Well, as Edgar and Kevin and Carla and the train gang spill out onto Platform 2 in Connolly and dissipate into Dublin's morning rush, I'm thinking that it's a really diverse bunch of people, some of whom have unpacked and examined their baggage, and others who frankly couldn't care less. But it's a fascinating, moving microcosm of society, bound together only by the fact that they get the same train. I'm looking forward to the journey back. Thank you.